Uh, so one more time, hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast Twitch channel. My name is Michael, and we're here tonight for another episode of Detention Live. Joining me, as always, of course, is Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. And joining us tonight as our special bonus guest co-host is Alex, a.k.a. Alex the Humanoid. So Alex, go ahead and say hello to everybody. Hey, everyone. How are you all doing tonight? I'm excited. This is going to be fun. I hope so. We are excited as well. Uh, for anyone who might be watching now or in the future who isn't already familiar with you or your work, give us the quick elevator pitch. Who are you? What do you do? I am Alex. I am a content creator and RPG writer and FLGS owner out in the Seattle area. Uh, so I uh, co-wrote and co-created Identico, uh, which if you go back, you can see on the RPG Academy podcast from like five years ago. I think longer than that, actually. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. It might have been. <laughs> anyway, it was a while ago. Uh, and so I also do actual play podcasts with uh, some of the folks affiliated with the RPG Academy and Redemption. And then I said, I own a game store out here in the Seattle area. Yeah, I think I think per capita, there are more Identico Chaos Inc. plugs on our channel than anything else, because almost every guest we have on is in some way related to your show. <laughs> uh, so you hopefully people are already fully aware. But just in case we've missed a few people, Let's send them there again. So where should they go to check out your stuff? Uh, that would be uh, twitch.tv slash Identico. Or if you want to watch back episodes, it's youtube.com slash Identico. Excellent. Got to love to get in that uh, unique URL. Yep. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to do Detention Live. This is sort of our loose format talk show. We're here to just talk about RPG stuff, uh, maybe some individual family stuff, whatever we really want to share with people. Uh, we're going to do some silly improv games, and hopefully, as always, at least somewhere in this conversation, there'll be something one of us says that is interesting enough to justify the time we're going to spend that might help you do something fun or interesting at your table. So we're going to start with extracurricular. Again, this is where we talk about what we've been up to recently. It can be books, movies, TV, songs, games, whatever you feel like sharing. Chris, buddy, I'll start with you. What you been up to lately? Uh, mostly ruining my posture by spending hours playing Diablo 4. Okay, uh, you're still on that train, huh? Well, uh, yep, got my level 56 uh, ice sorcerer running around just shredding things apart and just having a good time with it. Uh, other than that, just the usual work, scout activities. I every now and then hang out with the wife when she lets me. All right. Uh, have you got your giant Galactus yet? Uh, I didn't get the Galactus. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I, I saw something on the Kickstarter, but those were starting to ship. I couldn't pull the trigger on the extra $200 for an extra <sighs> miniature. And one extra set of little three or four adventures. I'm like, somebody will just post the adventure and I can use a stuffed animal. Fair, fair enough. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, we're talking about the Marvel zombie side game that was kickstarted about a year ago now. Uh, both Chris and I spent stupid amounts of money on that one. Chris also spent the extra wave one shipping. So he's already got a lot of it. I have none of it, but I should start getting some stuff. So buy a catacomb this year, I should have my copies. I'm waiting to play that more. Well, we got the faculty retreat coming up not that long ago. I'll bring it. All right. Excellent. All right. And then, Alex, I'll go to you next, buddy. What you been up to lately you want to share with people? Uh, work, work, more work. Uh, consistency. Yeah. Consistency. Uh, content creation. And then, obviously, for gaming side, it's it's summer release season. So a lot of the major publishers are in the middle of, of doing their summer product dumps. Being like, hey, look, look at the new shinies, the new shinies. Oh, yep. So, and then right now everybody's hunting for the greatest shiny out of the, the Lord of the Rings magic set. 
<laughs> I don't know if you guys have kept up on what they did there, but nope. so um, I mentioned this just a few weeks ago. I I played arena like religiously every single day. I did every challenge. I did the weekly challenges, whatever. Like I did not miss more than like maybe once or twice, well over a year, just every single 365. I was putting the time in and I just cold quit Turkey. I still really enjoyed it. I just realized I was spending too much time. It had become so important that I was not um, dropping other things, but it was just spreading me thin. It was like starting to cause anxiety because it's like, well, I definitely want to do the magic, but I still have to do this and this and this. And so I just like sort of like a mental health uh, self-care oh, yeah. sort of thing. I'm like, you know what? It's, it's fun, but it has started to stop being as much fun. So I stopped two sets ago, I think. But I have to say that this Lord of the Rings stuff has got me really curious. I, I really want to play again, but I'm just I'm going to refrain because I just I think I need to stick away. But I might buy a pack or two, kind of like when you go buy like I don't play the lottery, but when it's like at a billion dollars, I'll go play. The, you know, I'll put 20 bucks just once every five years. I might buy two packs of cards for the chance of winning a $2 million card. That was said, so that's the big one is, is I don't know if, if you guys have heard, but they, they published a single one ring card. There is one. That's There's one. They printed one and everybody and their mother is looking for that card. It's like the golden <laughs> ticket for Willy Wonka, but there's not eight of them. There's no. just one. One. Uh, I still stand by my theory that it will never, ever be found. It will disappear to the ether. Some kid's going to buy a collector's pack who's 11 on clearance at a Fred Meyer in Ohio in six months, and it will end up in their pocket. Mom will wash it, and it will just disappear. Um, I really, I'm really convinced it's gone. So, yeah, most of that. Um, I haven't been catching up on shows or stuff. I have been trying to catch up on movies. Okay. My, any, my any... Spider, Spider-Verse is really my highlight this year. Oh, so good. So good. So... I did. I did also love the little cameo at the end of Flash. I was like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but this is absolutely, especially for a '90s like, like going back to the yeah. '90s Batman. It's like, oh, we're going back to the to the death of the Schumacher Batman. Yeah, I um, we you know we have a Discord. We we plug it here on here occasion. I think it's a great little corner of the internet. I truly do. It's basically my favorite people in the world congregate there, and we talk about nerdy stuff. So it's a great place for me. And we talked about the Flash and. You know, we had the same conversations that are happening in the larger Twitter sphere and online. Some people didn't want to watch it because of Ezra. Some people uh, were excited. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. But I, I liked it more than I expected. I, I'm pretty much on the board. I don't like Zack Snyder as a director. Like, I pretty much have disliked almost all of the DCU movies. Mm-hmm. And even the ones I liked were almost always with a caveat. So I went into it with a pretty low bar, but it it definitely met or exceeded that. But I really like that ending. Like um, my favorite, it's the best joke in the whole movie is he goes, who the F is this? You know, and it's just like, it's it's delivered well. It's the perfect timing. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, the biggest thing I have now is I kind of wish Aquaman 2 wasn't coming out because I really think that should be the end of that yeah. universe. And the Aquaman 2 is just kind of like this weird, like bestial, bestial tail that's just sort of there, vestigial, however you say that. It doesn't, is, is it part of the thing? Is it not? Like, from what I'm hearing, basically, if it makes a billion dollars like the first one, they're going to be like, yeah, hey, he's, he's still in it. He's still the same Aquaman. But if it doesn't, then it doesn't count. So it's, it's just weird. Yeah. I'm not sure why they didn't end it with Flash, but they're, they're going to keep going. They want they want that Aquaman money. I don't know how well Aquaman's going to do. Yeah. 
I do not think it's going to do anything like the first one. But hey, at least we know who the new Superman and Lois are going to be. Yeah, just announced yesterday. Yeah, a last days night. I am completely unfamiliar with either of them, but uh, I in James Gunn, I trust. Uh, I love so the Mrs. the the girl they're getting for Lois, the one they're getting for Lois was on that show Mrs. Maisel on yep. Prime, and I watched that with my wife a lot, and it she. If she plays that character the way she played the character she played in Mrs. Maisel, you're going to get a a gutsy, tough, kick you in the face Lois Lane, which is what we should have. So I'm excited for that casting. So you're as far as I know, I could be wrong, but as far as I know, I think you're the only person we ever had on who is a game store owner and operator. Um, So I would be curious. Just give us a little like what's the state of the union when it comes to running your own game store? It's it's tough. It's one of those things that all of us, I think, kind of dream about growing up. We're like, man, that'd be so much fun to own a game store. How great would that be? And then you do it. And it's it's kind of like politics and legislation. Like it, it's kind of crappy when you see how the sausage gets made. Yeah. Kind of at every level of this industry. You have to work really hard to keep your joy in the hobbies that you loved before. You're like, I love board games. Oh, boy. You know, <laughs> like... Uh, and it's just, that's, that's really kind of the, the tough part. There are still great days and I get to play with that. And we've got a great community of people out here who are, are hyper loyal to our store and we've got a great space and and friendly folks and it's really inclusive and great. A lot of people get to learn a lot of new things. We get a lot of casual players who are trying to get into new games. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of indie RPGs here as many as I can. Obviously I come out of that space and I'm like, sure getting into game stores is the hardest thing for an indie RPG to do. Um, so I buy direct from them as much as I can. Um, and I try and push them that direction and I'm starting to see traction with people getting away from kind of the big three. So who would you say I, I'm immediately, I think of D and D and Pathfinder, but who's the third in that sandwich? Um, Anything... I don't know why I said sandwich. That was a weird <laughs> metaphor. I tried to, I was thinking like, a, <laughs> uh, never mind. Whatever. Who was the third in that menage a trois? Um, the third one in that menage a trois would be um, anything in the fate system. Oh, okay. We get a lot of fate stuff, like a lot of fate stuff. Um, PBTA, anything fate and PBTA is really, okay. really big. Again, there's a lot of people who are willing to try like weird stuff and different stuff. Um, I actually got a couple of things, you know, that have, that have done pretty well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the state. It's just, the industry's in a tough spot right now. It's mm-hmm. tabletop is trying to figure out what the next step is. There's a lot of people in the industry that know the industry's not growing as fast as it could be, but nobody really knows what that next, like what's going to drive tabletop to the spot that it needs to be. All right. So other than don't do it, if you could give one piece of advice to someone out there who's thinking about maybe I want to follow my dream and be a game store owner, owner, what's the, what's the one piece of advice other than don't do it? Um, be rich. Re- realize that you're never, ever going to please everyone. One of the mistakes that I think we made early was we, we kept trying to be everything to everyone. And we tried to make everybody, you know, every disparate community group and you know every one of our customers you know like be everything to all of them and you just can't do it and if you try to do that you're going to put yourself in a position where you're not making anybody happy mm. all right uh, i like that mm. advice uh do me one favor yes 
put the pin further away from you because every now and then you get it and you start clicking oh, it. Clicking, yes. Drive me bananas. That's, yes. So as for myself, uh, I just did an episode actually came out, I think today, uh, from I went to Origins. It's one of our game conventions down here in Ohio, which I'm in Kentucky now, but I used to be in Ohio. So it's not that far from me. It's one of the larger, I think it's like third or fourth largest. It was, um, it's uh, this year. I, I, I haven't seen the numbers. Like, I don't think they posted them, but I'm going to guess they were around 15,000 would be my guess of attendees. I think they got upwards almost close to 20 just before COVID. And then like all of us who run conventions were kind of rebuilding. So it's an, it's a big convention, but it's not, it's like a third of the size of like Gen Con. Uh, I had a really good time, got to play in a lot of different RPGs, which is kind of my goal. I had mostly really good experiences and even the experience that was bad. Uh, there was some good stories and like there was a reason why it was bad, which again, if you make cares, I won't rehash all of it, but you can go listen to the episode I did. But then Michael, who's also part of the RPG Academy, he doesn't do a lot with us, but he goes to conventions. He helps at a catacon. He got to introduce his nephew to conventions. This was the first time his nephew's ever gone. It's the first time his nephew's ever uh, role-played like that. So he had like, basically Saturday was introduced the nephew to, to conventions. And it was really cool talking to him about that and that process and just talk about bringing, you know, new kids into the, to the hobby. So that was a very special thing for him. And I, I got to live by Kerosene a little bit through him. So that was really nice as well. And then TV-wise, I've been watching The Bear. I don't know if any of you are watching that. I loved season one. Like it, it kind of came out of nowhere and it was just some of the most compelling TV I've ever watched. And season two just started. I've, I think it's bingeable. I think it's all the episodes are out, but I've been parsing them out. So I've only seen the first two. Um, the intensity level is down, but it's still very compelling and enjoyable. So I'm definitely ready to, to continue on. And then the other thing, actually, Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two just came out. The mm. first two episodes are out. And I, I loved season one, some of the best Star Trek I've ever seen. And I'm a longtime Star Trek nerd. And season two is off to a, just as good of a start. I posted on Twitter. I saw some similar reactions. The beginning of episode two, it's very clear what they're doing. Like, it's like, oh, this is what you're doing. Okay, I guess. And it almost felt like a little bit like pandering. Like it was just so clearly what they were trying to show. And by the end of it, I was like sobbing, going, I want to join Starfleet. I want to help people. So they did the obvious thing, but they executed at such a freaking high level that it still worked. So even though two minutes into that episode, I could have told you how it was going to end and been completely correct in like broad strokes. The execution was so high. I was, I was there for it. Absolutely loved it. Highest recommend. If you like the bear, the actor that's in it, have you watched Shameless? No, I have not. He does a phenomenal job in that show. Okay. I don't, is that the, the one where they're like, kind of like a redneck family or something? It's like a mm. down on their luck, trashy no. family sort of thing? South side of Chicago. Okay. Okay. Mom and dad, made, well, dad especially made some really bad decisions. And basically they are a really unique family. Okay. So maybe I got the wrong impressions from the, because I think I remember seeing the, like the advertising for, but it, it never really connected to me. And it actually reminds me of the show, and I can't remember the name of it, but it, this was a show that was on Fox like 15 years ago. And it had the lady in it who was in the Goonies. She was like Andy's best friend. Uh, and it was like this really like sort of, so I guess like lower income family. And then the, the oldest son had a baby out of wedlock and it's all about, raising the baby 
I know I'm doing a terrible job of describing the show, but it's something my wife liked watched and we, we watched all the time and it was really, really funny, but that show looked like more like a highbrow version of the other show. So I just, I don't know, something about it just didn't connect with me, but yeah. if it's got that dude in it and it's, you know, if you're putting anywhere in the same category as Barrett, it definitely is worth a, a look. I, I think so. And it wasn't like, if you watch the little Netflix blip, it doesn't, it won't bring you in. You'll think the same, or I thought the same thing you did of, oh, this is just a poor, you know, trashy family, going to be dumb humor, but it actually has a really good story and a lot of the episodes will hit you pretty hard. Okay. And then the next episode make you laugh really hard. Like it, they do a good job of that the emotional roller coaster, I call it, of, you know, you like it one minute, you hate it the next, you like it the next. Okay. You hate it. It's you hate what the characters are doing, but it's done well. Okay. So it turns out it was uh, Raising Hope was the show I was thinking of, which was created by Greg Garcia, who also did uh, My Name is Earl, which is another show okay. that I really liked. Uh, and basically, there's like this down on his luck stoner kid living in his parents' house, has a one night stand with an escaped felon, mm. not realizing who she is. And then she gets pregnant. And so he ends up having to raise the baby because the mom is still serving her time in prison. Uh, and it's very silly, but very funny. <laughs> All right. So with that out of the way, we're going to go into our first improv game. And this is 10 things. This is where we're going to take a, basically, the idea is you're going to prompt each other to come up with a list of that fits the prompt. Uh, the idea of the game is immediacy is better than accuracy. So a, a list you come up with quickly makes more sense and is better in terms of the game than like taking a long time and creating a list that actually makes sense. Um, Alex, you are the guest tonight, so you can choose. Would you like to go first in terms of prompting Chris or I, or would you like to go first in receiving a prompt and giving your list? Let me get prompted first. I got to think of a good prompt for you all. Okay. Um, so uh, you had mentioned, again, you, you're a big fan of indie games. You try to push them at the game store. So give me 10 indie RPGs that you would like to see more people playing. Uh, I Hunt. One. Uh, One. The Well. Two. Two. Curse Brand Chronicles. Three. Three. Uh, Valor. Four. Uh, Pasión de las Pasiones. Five. Five. Uh, what's that one called? Uh, do, 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 do. Obviously Identico. Six. Six. I always want more of those. I, I, I appreciate the discretion <laughs> of not naming it first, but I expected it to be on the list. Um, good ten good ones. Uh... See, the problem is, is like I, they're all out there. I'm like, what do I have out there in the store? Um, what am I at six? Yes. Oh, uh, clever girl. Seven. Mall kids. Eight. Eight. Uh, kids on bikes. Nine. Nine. Oh, coyote and crow. Ten. There that we go. A list of ten things. Uh, I, I'm getting in just now. Did I just say uh, Action 12 Cinema would have been oh, your 11th pick? That would have been my 11th pick, but it's so big right behind it. And I obviously I kickstarted the book, so yeah. I, I you are you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so the way in his defense, it's not in a store yet. That's true, that's that is true. true, absolutely. It will I, actually, it did just get turned over to layout, so the, the editing's done, it's now in layout's hand. Hopefully, by the end of July, we will be heading to the printer. So Nice. All right, so Alex, so since I prompted you the way the chain will work, you will prompt Chris, so you give him his prompt. Um, whew, this is tough. Mm, ten best bad movies. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu. 
What? Hated that movie. Uh, I mean, let, let's go with some of the old classics. Used to have Big Trouble in Little China. Two. Uh, let's see the um, I like the second Predator. Three. That was bad. Um, oh, Shaolin Soccer. Four. It's not good. Uh, what was the other? Oh, we'll go old school Barbarians. Five. That was not good. Uh, the Destroyer. Six. Bad. Evil Dead. Seven. Any of them. They were bad movies. Just done but, well. But good. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Beastmaster. Eight. One of my favorites. Wasn't done well. Red Sonja. Nine. And let's see. What was it when I just... Oh, Ragnarok. Ten. There we go. That was, in fact, a list of ten things. All righty, Chris. So you will prompt me, sir. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll go something I think might be uh, right up your alley. Uh, ten things you want for lunch. Okay. Um, chicken tikka masala. One. Extra side of garlic naan, extra garlic. Two. Chinese food. Because I do not have a Chinese food within 30 minutes of me, and it's pissing me off. What? <laughs> yes. Jet's pizza. Love me some Jet's pizza. Four. Uh, a really good PB&J. Five. Uh, a steak. Well, medium rare. Six. Uh, hearty bowl of soup. Seven. Uh, a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. Eight. Spaghetti with extra mushrooms. Nine. And a giant donut. Ten. Yay! Yay! Yay. That was, in fact, a list of things. All right, so now we're going to move into used books. This is generally the sort of the meat and potatoes of the show. And the idea here is we're going to uh, look back at a campaign that one of us has played in or ran. And the idea is we're going to look for lessons learned. Maybe something we tried that went really well, that we that we took into other games. Maybe something we tried that didn't go so well. and We learned from it, we modified it, or we avoided it. Um, Alex, you are the guest tonight. Do you have a campaign story you can share with us, please? Yeah. Uh, so when I was when I was young, I started... Uh, not with traditional uh, RPGs. I started with Palladium stuff. Specifically, I started with Ninjas and Super Spies, and I ran quickly into Rifts, which anybody who has seen Rifts knows that it is gonzo role-playing. When people ask me to describe it, I'm like, um, it's everything. They just they yeah. threw everything in the pot, and it's all there. And so when I was young, especially like 15, 16, I would run these campaigns. I was kind of the forever GM of our, our little group of hooligans. And... If you know anything about Rift, it literally has so many little tweaked out rules that allow you to do just about everything. And I, being the, the, the game runner that I wanted to be at 16, let them do, like, you can go anywhere. It's a big sandbox and I'll just go. And uh, I ended up with campaigns where they were creating self-replicating Star Destroyers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As uh, you do. As you do, you know, Star Destroyers that, that just built themselves out in space. Um, they, you know, there was the, the four-armed ninja Borg who was also a cosmonite who was also, you know, it was just, and it got so out of control that like any idea of like balancing or trying to figure out like how to write a good encounter or any of that became so, so difficult, just completely bonkers. Cause I could never even as the gamer or somebody had all the books was reading them all it's so hard to keep up on so many different little rules intricacies yeah. and i had one of those guys in my campaign that had like close to an eidetic memory and could tell you what page that that rule from that book was and you know and obviously all of us being young kids we were also all very stubborn 
there was a lot of fights around the table mm-hmm. about the rules and things like that. And so it, it showed me, it was just, again, with, with no defined scope or guidelines or like rails or anything like people are like, you don't want it to be on two on rails. And I'm like, yes, but you don't want to get it completely, just completely like go wherever, like, cause they can get really out of control really fast. So, uh, Chris, I always feel like I, I dominate too much. So I'm going to let you start here. So with that in mind, and do you have any experience with riffs yourself? Uh, any, you know, like sympathy for Alex and his plight? And then kind of roll into any thoughts you have on modulating a game where the players have so much power that it kind of not like toughness, but just mm-hmm. have so much like narrative control that it's hard to, to build encounters or anywhere you'd like to take that that Alex yeah. gave us. Yeah. Uh, I've played Rifts, I think, a couple times, mostly like at conventions. And I think we tried it once and we made characters. And I think it was such a long process. I went, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. Because uh, I'm right, like you said, there's everything in there. So trying to make the character was just tedious in a way. It's one of the crunchiest character creation processes out there, full stop. Yeah. Uh, groups might be the one that might beat it. We can get into that debate later. Uh, I, I agree that if you let players have too much freedom, then encounters can become very tough, especially if they pull in their knowledge, like you said, of the books. Like I, the, the player that's it's the, my nemesis at the table is players like, well, on page 43 of the DMG, that is this. And it says its weaknesses are this. So I pull this out and you're like, okay, well, your character has no idea what that would be. Yeah. Your character's never seen this. You're a farmer with a pitchfork. Why would you know that? Well, this is, this was back in the night before we really had a concept of metagaming or before there was like mm-hmm. Reddit and things where I could be like, help, you know? Yeah. Uh, for sure. All you could do is talk to your friends who are going to tell you, oh, everything's great because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm fourth level with the plus five Vorpal Sword of slaying everything and they're the hero. And they've probably got the sash of seduction on as well. And they're seducing every barmaid. Because that's what you want to do when you're 16. Yes. Um, you know, I'll tell you, even to this day, I think encounters can sometimes be hard to plan unless you do put them on a little bit of rails. Because if you, you know, if you give them too much freedom and they get too much power, it's hard to balance that encounter. Like, look at Redemption. It's eight years ago on. And the last encounter I planned, they brought in an extra droid and an extra farmer and wiped the encounter out in like two rounds, which I had expected it to go four or five rounds. And, you know, just because they managed to, through role-playing, randomly found a droid. Thank you, Destiny Points, for making life more difficult. But that's what they're there for. I think there is a balance of putting them on the rails and letting them have freedom too. I'm still learning that balance. Yeah. And I think that varies from table to table. And I like if Michael and I are thrown on a table and you say, hey, go do whatever you want. We're going to just start role playing about what color is your pants and your character and you know, mm-hmm. what's on the wall. And we're going to just start randomly doing odd things because it entertains us. Mm-hmm. And the GM's probably like, okay, uh, remember there's this thing you're supposed to go do? <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, but you told us we had freedom. So why would we go do that? 
It's dangerous. I want to open up a shop. Yeah. We could role play opening up a game store. Exactly. <laughs> where yeah. we make everybody happy because we have the sashes of seduction on. That's right. Oh, yeah. Not yes. really a game you store at that point then. But anyway. If, if I had magic items, it would make this a lot easier. That's okay. what I need. Magic yep. items. It, it solves so many problems and creates none. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the thing that I'm kind of thinking of, um, and again, these are all just half thought out thoughts. So please understand that I'm probably wrong about most of them. Uh, and I'm trying to do the cool thing where I can, there we go. Um, highlight the thing that, that we're in. Actually, we're not there anymore. We're not there. We're there. Is um, It's almost like there's two games in a way. And some of it might be age and or experience, maybe a little bit of both. But certainly when I was younger, when we first started playing, we were roughly 12. As best I can remember, we were around 12 years old. And there was absolutely a power fantasy that I got fun from creating characters and making them more powerful. Like that that was definitely a thing, even like as a dyed-in-the-world role player that I claimed to be. When I first started playing, I also did DMPCs. I had characters in the game, which I now wouldn't do. And I can remember, like, we would all make concessions to each other. Like, well, they will let my character do this thing if their character can do this thing. And they were all things to make us more powerful than they were supposed to be, whether it was raising our stats or magic items that gave us extra attacks or bonuses or that kind of thing. And I totally had fun building those characters and creating those characters. And in my head, thinking about, the adventures that those characters would have. But that fun never really translated to the actual game because the game has rules and we are breaking them. So it's either not fun because we're walking through every encounter like there's nothing, which can be fun for a little while. Or as the DM, I'm making things so hard to try to balance out that the monster I picked one shot, one kill someone, because this was back in the day when I didn't you know, think about modifying roles behind the screen. So I, I don't think, I don't, again, I don't have an answer to it, but I do think that those are different types of fun that are both valid, but they don't always cross and play together well. And I, I don't know if there's a game that manages that. I don't think Rift would be the one that I would pick for it. <laughs> no, and I guess the thing that, that takes out of this is like, I did end up coming back to Rifts later after I left it for a very long time. I was like, okay. And I think what it is, is, is like you said, Mike, it's, it's aging experience, but it's also realizing like, you can put reasonable boundaries on a campaign or a set of sessions or even a one shot and go, look, this is where, and it's, it's about communicating with your table, which is something that I think it, you know, again, 16, when I was really doing the riff stuff heavily, uh, I didn't know how to do was be like, Hey, let's all talk about boundaries and what's going to make this fun for everyone. I also think there was a cultural thing. And I don't know if you saw this in the game stores you were in uh, back then, but like, there was definitely a player versus GM kind of mentality a lot yeah. that I don't see as prevalently, nearly as prevalently anymore. And I watch a lot of, you know, role-playing games happening, you know, but back then, like, it seems like there was much more like the players are trying to win and to do that, they have to beat the DM. Mm -hmm. that's, so. where I got, that's where I got lucky. My first GM was very much, this is our story. You're supposed, supposed to beat my monsters that's mm -hmm. they're there for you to win he was more excited to see the story unfold and, and as he explained it i'm more excited to see my plan work out than you guys fail 
because I had planned on you guys being successful and getting the magic item and then moving on to the next thing. And that's what helped me when I was younger. Yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't until I got to college and started playing that that's where the player versus GM thing kind of showed up. Especially if the GM was trying to impress somebody, yeah. then it got even worse. But yeah, I agree with that. That was a huge thing. And I'm glad it's gone because that's, A, as a GM, it makes it so much easier if it's just us telling a story. Mm -hmm. Especially if you come up with a brilliant idea that I didn't think of and I'm like, sweet, let's go with that instead. I sometimes tell people when they ask me, I go, it may seem like lazy DJing. If you scrap your ideas and just follow somebody else's, it's not. It actually takes more effort in a way for you to think about what their idea is and make it work. At least for me. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's yeah. fun for me because I get to be a player for a moment. I get to go, oh, this, I didn't know this was going to happen, but now I, I get to play with this idea and roll it into what I was doing. And it, it's sort of like crossing the boundaries in my mind of what a player normally does as the DM I present, and then they get to interact with it. But when I get to do that the other way, that's a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love getting good creative curveballs during a session mm -hmm. are a blast. Because of like, oh, okay, well, we're going this way now. That's And that's like you said, it's, it's like being a player. It's very fun. You get to put your mind not into the, what is the plan I wrote down, but the, oh, now I have to react to this new thing. Mm -hmm. I Kind of circling back to the, just thinking through my younger days, I, I think a lot of my DM versus the player mentality was around the fact because I, I was so forgiving as a DM when it came to building characters and letting them have these magic items partially because it was in my best interest because that meant my character could do the same thing that it was very difficult for me to to create encounters so the the beating wasn't hey I want my story it was well I gave them a magic weapon that does plus five damage so I must give my bad guy armor that is resistant to that or uh you know they're ethereal so your attacks don't hit or like I had to do something to counteract what I had already given them. And, and I've said this before, you know, I'm a big improv focused DM, but the never say no thing has been taken out of context quite a lot. I think, I think it's very appropriate to say no a lot before the game starts. Yeah. Like if, when you're doing your session zero thing, everyone take a drink, uh, whether that's one session or, you know, months of like chat, but like, Hey, can we play this? particular species yes or no can we be this class can i start with a magic item all those things are like sometimes it's just no if i'm running a campaign that's based around the fact that their dwarves died a thousand years ago and now there's rumors of a new dwarf you can't play a dwarf because that's not what this campaign's about so it's okay to say no to you but when we're in the game and you're like hey i have this stupid idea could it work eh, maybe let's find out you know it's i'm not going to say no to that that's that's where i don't think the no's come from um, but I will say in general, just a general piece of advice, if you do need to design encounters to kind of counteract what a character or player can do, I would advise you rather than taking away the abilities that they have, like, well, normally I get four attacks, but bam, now you don't, or I have a plus magic sword, well, bam, you're in a non-magic zone. I think it's better to create circumstances where those advantages are just nullified a little bit, like just give the monster a lot more hit points or give them a harder AC or that, you know, they can only be attacked on every odd round because of some phase shifting. I think it's more fun for them to overcome obstacles than to deal with their own restrictions. 
of course there are exceptions to that, but in general, I would say do the one, not the other. I agree. No, I think that's definitely the the better way to go about it is to, to, to make it a little trickier. I also like to hide the bad guy from them so that they know who they're trying to get, but they can't find them. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is the bad guy. They're, they're not going to just present themselves right. to you. <laughs> like they know there's a group of people who would like to murder them. <laughs> they're going to stay They'll in, meet yeah. you at seven <laughs> eleven. Yeah, exactly. No. I'm calling you out. The fly. Um, I, I remember what campaign I played. This was, Actually, I was an adult. This was post-college. This is back with my group in Cleveland. And the other thing that I often tried to do was I was trying to steal plot lines from books and movies, which I think is a very good thing to do. But I would take them too literally. Like I would think of a cool scene and try to recreate that scene in a role-playing game, which does not work because characters are written to do a thing. And if they do something you don't think as a writer, you still get to edit it and make it make sense later. Players don't follow that script. Um, but I was trying to do something where they were in a world where there were what I, I remember the name called, but they basically they had there were places in the world that were cursed and you could not heal while you were inside them. So like normal D&D healing rules did not apply if you were camped inside the space. Furthermore, if you were wounded while you were in one of those spaces, that wound would never heal, even once you vacated it. Mm. So I was trying to create these interesting like um scars you know like someone get a like you know tank nick fury they get their eyeball raked out yeah that will never be fixed so they have to deal with that and it seemed like an interesting concept players don't like it when you uh manipulate their character and then don't let them fix it like i i think it borders the agency thing because i still have control like if you get hit with a an arrow and you're playing a game that has targets, maybe you got hit in the eye, but when you're playing D&D that doesn't really do that, but then I implement a subsystem that I created that you can't control and you're like, oh, I just cut your arm off. You now only have one arm for the rest of this character's life. I don't, I would never do that now. Unless we're playing Dark Discovery because they have like magic bands that will give you like phantom arms because I think that's cool. Now, I I will say this is the one upside to a cyberpunk game. (laughs) And this (laughs) is the thing. Because then they can lose limbs and stuff um, and, and, and put them in danger. It's one of the things that I think Rifts does well, and it's, it's something that we kind of kind of Rifts. I love the idea of uh, area damage, like sections, yeah. right? So that you, can, you have a, a mechanical wake, and especially for those characters, because there's a lot of players I've seen who you think they're being rules lawyery because they want to be jerks, but they're really not. They're being rules lawyery because they need something like more concrete to hold mm. on to that helps them suspend their disbelief in other areas uh, that helps them with the role play side of it. And so it gives a very like mechanical way of being like, here's danger. There's still loss without it, without you either having to a kind of make up mechanics to kind of make it make sense or b basically just kill the characters off. Like you're not shooting for character death all the time. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of talk in D and D circles about oh character death, character death. I'm like, you, you could do other things besides just, kill them you know like there's limbs and you know scars and stuff and you know the reputation mm-hmm. yeah and then also in cyberpunk you can, then you get cool robot arms right yeah exactly yeah um 
I, I'm, I'm kind of experiencing that right now. I've, I've been mentioning before. I'm, I'm now playing D and D with like the people I started playing with when I was 12, like my original group, we've, we've kind of reconnected now that I'm back in Kentucky and we're closer and we've been playing some games together. And, um, and they still do that where when we get into a fight, they want to constantly do called shots. They're just like, well, I want to aim for his face. I want to aim for his hand. I want to disarm him. And I'm like, 5e doesn't really allow for that sort of thing because you're, you're always assumed to be you're always trying to hit them in the place that's going to kill them instantly you know that's that's part of the game uh so one thing i've started doing and i don't think this is revolutionary is i will let them do a called shot i give them disadvantage um and depending on exactly what they're trying to do i might even give them disadvantage and like a negative but if they hit it's not like an instant kill but i give them an effect uh mm-hmm. like a status like they may be stunned or blind and blinded or deafened or even like they might drop something so like if the wizards got a wand and they want to called shot their hand all right this disadvantage negative five guess what you shot the wand out of his hand that doesn't mean the combat's over you didn't like i'm not gonna let you blow it up maybe if they're almost dead anyways like that might be a cool final scene but adding in effects like maybe they shoot their leg or try to pin their leg to the ground it reduces their movement it gives them the prone condition for a round even though they're not technically on the ground and i think those are ways that even within basically playing 5e and whatever game you're playing might have additional options for that i think that's a cool way to mitigate the i want to shoot them in the hand okay but that doesn't mean you cut off their hand and now they can't fight you. So you win. It's just like, okay, you get an effect, they lose a weapon. So they got to go to their backup, which they're not as proficient. They have less bonuses mm-hmm. to attack that kind of thing. I think those are fun and cinematic, which is something I always go for. Have you ever had that Chris, uh, people who are just like, I want to call shot everything. Uh, not a ton. I mean, star Wars has it where you can, but it increases the difficulty. So a lot of times it's not worth it mechanically. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about it too much. Not a ton. I get more. I want to trip them. I want to throw this rope over them. I want to pull the weapon out of their hand with the rope, that kind of stuff, which I encourage. I encourage. I like the creativity, mm-hmm. but I don't get a ton of called shots. But like Alex said, I play a lot of games like Star Wars where you lose a limb. No oh, droid comes over. <laughs> You hear some whirly sounds. Now you've got a mechanical leg. Mm-hmm. Get back in there. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't worry about that too much. Uh, I, I worry more about just making sure I describe it in a way that's effective and mm-hmm. fits what the players want. You know, if it's Star Wars, I don't get too graphic. You know? Oh, you hear the lightsaber. You hear, ah, yeah. you see the limb off. To, yeah. See the or... foot off to the side as the person falls in a different direction. Yeah, especially with Star Wars, with all the lightsaber flying around, and you were doing Clone Wars era. Yeah, yeah, we didn't lose lit. No, nobody lost a limb. None still of the time on Smuggler's Blues. Yeah, yeah. Well, they just got done hauling their load of literal shit. They, <laughs> the the players said they wanted their first run to be a test, and they wanted it to just be kind of junk. So they went to a farm and opened up a bunch of containers, and that's fertilizer. Hmm. Which is funny for me. Like you guys said, you wanted it to be, you know, yeah. shit. Guess what it was? Literally. Literally. It actually reminds me of Firefly. I, I very recently went back and rewatched that series. And one of the sort of famous episodes is when they haul cattle on mm-hmm. their, uh, the ship. I really love that episode. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll close the book there on used book. That was a very lively discussion. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Alex. And I hope anyone listening, if you have thoughts uh, about what you did or what we talked about, 
obviously you can email the show, the RPG Academy at Gmail. You can comment on the Twitter or Facebook posts when these episodes get posted on the internet. Uh, maybe you can come back next time we do this every other week, Wednesday night, live around 8 p.m. and share with us in chat live. But we're going to move on to where have my fingers been? And this is our second improv game. And this is where we are going to, oh, oh, what's going on? One of these days I'm going to get this right, but today is not the day. Sorry. One more. There we go. So we're going to play a little game. We're going to take turns prompting each other again. Uh, the idea is that we will prompt each other to create uh, an improv scene involving two or more people. Uh, and we're going to sort of puppeteer and mime it out. Uh, Alex, you once again are the guest. So would you like to go first in terms of prompting Chris or I to start or being prompted to start? Uh, I think I'll prompt first. All right. So uh, don't start yet, but do you want to prompt Chris or myself? It's your choice. Uh, let's do Michael. All right. So before we go, we have to honor New York Tater. He will he will send us nasty e emails if we do not sing the song. So it is where have my fingers been? I said where have my fingers been? Okay, Michael, uh, you are a there is a game shop owner mm -hmm. and someone who is trying to buy all of your dice and Ooh. you're trying to stop them. Okay. Uh, yeah, welcome. Um, this is Gamer Saven. It's the best uh, friendly local game store in the greater Seattle, Washington, I don't know, area. Uh, yeah, I've heard all about your store. I've been watching Critical Role. I've been watching Tabletop. I've been, this, this podcast called the RPG Academy I really like. And I think I want to start playing role-playing games. Oh, you have come to the right place, my friend. I have a wide selection of all kinds of games, including, of course, D&D, &D, but uh, many, many others. Um, do you know what you want to play? The one where you roll dice. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like most of them, but not all of them, most of them roll dice. Um, I would say pick a favorite color. Uh, we have some different types. There's like silicone, which are kind of bouncy. There's plastic, which are durable. Metal, which are very heavy. Uh, yes, Okay. Um, I, so, I mean, over here's my selection. Uh, if you'd like to just take a moment. Uh, no, I, I'll, I'll take all of them. All of them? Yeah. I, literally every single dice you have in the store. Um, it's an aside to the audience. I'm conflicted because as a game store owner and a small business owner, this is a huge sale. But at the same time, what the hell? Back to the person. Um, will that be cash or charge? Where have my fingers been? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly, exactly how I would have done it in real life. Like, are you sure? I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I worked in retail for a, for a long time. And the number one lesson I learned as now a small business owner is if someone's trying to give you money, let them. Mm -hmm. All right. So to finish the, the chain, I will prompt Chris and then Chris will finish off by prompting you. So Chris, sing the song, sir. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are trying to convince a smuggler to take a load off of them and smuggle it. All right, so. This cargo is very valuable, but my ship's broke, so you need to take it. Why me? I've heard about your reputation. From who? Uh, people. Which people? 
all of them. I've you never know, been to this. I've never been to this planet before. Well, uh, other other planets, the other places I've been to, like which ones? Like uh, you know, Earth. Earth. Never heard of it. Uh, it's to the west of here. <laughs> west. Uh yeah. I think I'm gonna pass. No, no, really, really. It smells great. It's something everybody wants, and and you'll love it. Uh, I don't think so. I'll buy all your dice. Sold. And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> that's where excellent. All right. So all right, Chris will now prompt you, Alex. Again, please sing the song for us. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? All right. Uh, let's go with uh, two guys planning their trip to a catacomb. Okay. So. You keep buying tickets to a catacomb and you never manage to make it. I know. Leave me alone. It's not my fault. Something comes up every year. I know. But this year, nothing will come up. You will go to a catacomb. Now, how are we going to get there? I was thinking by train. Um, why train? I don't know. I like trains. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe something with less likelihood of derailing or having something go wrong. Okay, uh, we could go by car. That is the least popular. Nope, you'll get into a wreck. You are coming to a catacomb. Okay. Um, ah, wait, I've got it. I found my ring of teleport. Well, yes, that is the most effective way to get to a catacomb. <laughs> and that's where my fingers are. That was, in fact, <laughs> two people talking about a catacomb. All right, so we're going to move if I can. There we go. So we're going to move into cryptozoology. And this is where we're going to talk about a monster. It's usually in D&D, but it does not have to be. And it is not tonight. We talk about maybe some ways we have used this creature in the past, if we have. And then we brainstorm some ways that maybe we could use this creature going forward. Uh, Alex, you are again are the guest tonight. So did you bring us a monster to talk about? We are going to talk about Sasquatch. Because I am from the Pacific Northwest and I do love me some local cryptids. <laughs> All right, so if you're watching the stream, there's now a giant Sasquatch covering Chris and I. Hey. All right, so I think we've actually talked about Sasquatch fairly recently, but I don't remember for sure, and it's totally fine because every conversation is different. Uh, but give us the, the lowdown. What is the general lore on the Sasquatch? There is so many different versions of the lore on the Sasquatch. Um, in fact, there's a whole thing with, with the tribes out on the Olympic Peninsula about that uh, has also been a mascot for various Seattle sports teams. So um, it's, it's also thought, Jack Link's jerky, I think. Yes. That it's thought to be a, a proto human, like a prehistoric humanoid figure that is out in the woods somewhere, either in British Columbia or here in Washington or Oregon and in the deep, deep, because we like most people don't realize we have deciduous rainforests here that like are completely unexplored. Like you just can't get into them. They're too far. Um, and so there's lots of places where Sasquatch could be hiding if Sasquatch wanted to hide. Um, but that's kind of the, the background. I love Sasquatch. Okay. So I guess my first question, are Sasquatch real, Alex? I mean, I maybe. Okay. It wouldn't shock me. If, they uh, were to, if tomorrow they were like, hey, by the way, there's like this 100 square mile area and there's a tribe of these things, like it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds because my instant reaction is no, because we've been looking too long. There, there are TV shows about it that if there was one out there, we would have some hardcore evidence and not this like shaky cam. 
uh, you know, my tree, my, my camera fell and just happened to catch this one thing walking across for two seconds. But at the same time, like every now and then we get these things like, hey, we just found an entire temple, uh, like a Mayan temple that was in a rainforest that was like three blocks from a mall that was, you know, buried in a landslide. So it's like we are constantly discovering things about our planet that you would think, well, we've already discovered everything about our planet other than maybe in the ocean. But like, no, we are constantly finding things we never knew about. So I guess it is possible to your point that there's just a very remote part of our planet that doesn't seem interesting enough on the outside to generate, you know, exploration. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's in there? Uh, what about you, Chris? Are you a squatch watcher? No. Okay. I, I think that we've explored too much. There's too many drones. There's too many hunters cameras. There's too many trail cams that somebody would have found something. Unless the government has them in a bunker somewhere and they're experimenting, yeah, which, which could also be. possible. Also very possible. All or right. So maybe they turn invisible and we can't see them. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're riding purple dinosaurs. All right. So Alex, so then if you are going to use a Sasquatch in a game, like what service, what's, what, what purpose are they going to serve? Is it a bag of hit points that they, the players need to kill? Is it something they need to track and catch? Is it something they need to learn from? Is it have information they need to get from it? Like, what do you think, or have you used these in the past in some way you want to share? Um, I love using them in, in modern games with like, uh, as kind of a foil to almost like your, your, your Cthulhu-esque old ones, right? I like the idea that, that Sasquatch would be like, the wise like people who who truly understand what the old ones are and know how they could defeat them right but are prevented from doing so for some reason um i like monsters that aren't monsters mm -hmm. so i would love this to be a situation where the players almost get tricked into thinking they should be hunting the sasquatch but the sasquatch is really the one that they need to finish the game for lack okay. of a better term so sort of the situation where it's like the only thing that can kill me is a Sasquatch. So I'm going to hire this group of adventurers and convince them they have to kill the Sasquatch so that my evil plan can succeed. <laughs> exactly. You've got it. Awesome. All right, Chris, any thoughts? Again, have you ever used a Sasquatch before? And if not, any thoughts on how you might use them in the future? No, no. I feel like, though, when you were talking about how you run the Sasquatch, I think that's how they kind of describe in the Dresden books. They're kind of smart. You know, they're all very old. They have yeah, some I, magic. I'm familiar with the Dresden as far as them existing, but I've never mm -hmm. actually read the books. Oh, you should. They're very good. I'll have to take a look at those. Yeah, I mean, because some are good, some are bad, just like every different creature on Earth in those books. So um, I like, kind of like Alex, I like using monsters in a unique way. So I would do something beyond just the normal, it's Bigfoot, he's mad, he's, you know, Hulk smashing everything. Instead, I'd have him, you know, he's just out there in the woods trying to do his thing. You know, maybe he's protecting a small area of, of the forest that's got something important there. You know, something like that. Or do a Harry and the Hendersons, you know. Yeah. Your horse yeah. runs into one and you've got to take him back and heal him and he becomes part of the family. Yeah. <laughs> that would uh, be great. I also think along the lines of like a monster squad that rather than a bunch of kids finding Dracula, they find a Sasquatch. So it's sort of like Harry and the Hendersons, but it's a bit more Goonies-esque than, you know, the than, than the Harry Henderson movie. But it is like, there's an adventure, there's potentially a hunter, or maybe like a scientist who's like the evil version who wants to like, uh, you know, 
exploit them in some way. So you have to find them, you have to protect them and get them to someplace self, self or, or safe, or maybe like you, you rent the Sasquatch costume to get captured to like, make it seem like the scientist was like scamming people. Like you, you could do like a, like a non supernatural kids on bikes sort of situation where the Sasquatch is the only semi supernatural or unnatural part of it. Everything else is just modern day, but you befriend the Sasquatch and have to keep them safe in some way. Uh, I also think there's probably some like very lighthearted games. I actually, in my youth, I had, I had come up with an idea for a short story that I never actually wrote that was about a Bigfoot coming to the city and hiring a, a lawyer to sue for being called Bigfoot because they, they felt that that mischaracterized them because their feet were not big for their size. And so it was like a lawyer drama where this lawyer had to represent Bigfoot in court. Uh, in my head, they would eventually win the case and then it would end with all these other supernatural monsters like forming up like leprechauns and, and unicorns and Draculas. And, and they, they were all lining up to get this person to represent them as well for all their various uh, slanders and libels over the years. All right. So anything else, any other ideas for uh, Sasquatch use that you can think of Alex for, and it can be any game. So it can be like a D and D where it is a monster or it could be any, any RPG or maybe not even a specific RPG, but just like a general style of game where they might be interesting. Um, I, I hadn't thought of the Harry and the Hendersons approach. And so now my brain is going like full on sitcom mode, mm -hmm. especially, and now that you've described your lawyer drama, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you could do, there's so many fun things you could do as like a palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. Like I like those types of games. Like when you're in like a deep, heavy campaign to like, be like, all right, we're going to take two weeks and do like a palate cleanser and bring it back down to zero. Um, so I love the idea of using them in a, in a comedic way. You could do a Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Yes. Right? Where, yeah. where it's not actually a guy in a mask, but they learn that it is actually a real Sasquatch. Or, or you could even go as far as it is a guy in the mask. Right. And then just as the game ends, they hear a sound in the woods that's just mm. like Bigfoot. And they're like, oh, you know, is it really yeah. him? Or is it somebody mm. now goofing off again? And you know, leave that little mystery out there. No, I, I know like there are, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, I really like that. I know there are several games that sort of simulate that ghost hunter. Like you could play a Ghostbusters game. I think Tracy um, has a game called like Bro, Ghost Bros or something where you you play a bunch of bros who are like ghost hunters. But I'm sure there's various games where you could just reflavor it to your Sasquatch. There, um, there probably is, if I Google find Sasquatch RPG, there's probably something on itch right now that you could play probably with D6s. It should be D12s, but people just aren't smart yet. Uh, but I mean, you could definitely have like a one shot, you know, somebody doesn't make it. You can't play your campaign. Let's, let's, let's hunt Bigfoot for, you know, three hours in an improv heavy game. That could be fun. Yeah. I mean, you could go, you know, dark too, that somebody's hired the crew to go out and get a Bigfoot because they need, you know, they need the Bigfoot for some sort of ritual. And then the players yeah. have to determine, oh, wait, this was actually just a harmless creature that we just captured to bring back. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to complete this ritual. Or are we going to stop the bad guy? Yeah. Or Maybe they just need the toenail of the Bigfoot. Yeah, that'd be or, right. or some hair. Yeah. A or a high, a high five. A gland. Okay. Like they have, they have a sense gland. Wondering how they're going to get the toenail. Yeah. I mean, Very then, then you, you have the scene where you go into like the, um, 
the stereotypical Manny Petty store and you you're <laughs> like you're you have dress Bigfoot dressed in like a sundress and a big hat bonnet getting a, a pedicure or yeah. Man, yeah pedicure and then like they take the clippings like you can do a lot with that in both silly and serious ways absolutely all right. So as always, we'll throw it to the audience, anyone watching now or in the future. If you have ever used a Sasquatch in your game, or if you think of a fun way to use one, uh, please let us know. Email the show, the RPG Academy at Gmail, again, or comment on this episode whenever and wherever it's posted. All right. So that moves us into our last segment. This is our audience Q&A. And um, I don't, we haven't had anybody chatting. I'm not sure if anybody's watching right now, but if you are, lurking's totally fine. Uh, but we have a section at the end where if you have any questions that you'd like to ask any or all of us, should probably be RPG related, but they don't have to be, uh, but we reserve the right not to answer them. Um, but while we're waiting, because there's a bit of a lay for any questions to come in, one more time, we'll kind of go around the horn. You can give your socials and we'll start with you, Alex. Also, if you have any light plugs for projects you're part of or just places you want to send people, feel free, sir. Well, as I mentioned, I want to do a light plug because Action 12 Cinema, mm, there is a piece of art that, that uh, I am particularly happy with. I did the thing at the art level because I have been following this for a while and I wanted to support. And I love uh, the piece that, that Michael's artist has done uh, for it. And so I was like, oh, we got to plug that for at least a second. All right. So let me pull up. I'm actually going to add it to. To OBS. Yeah. And we'll try yeah. to. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So I have now added it to OBS so people can see it. it's, it's not the greatest resolution, but basically that is an image of you uh, and your dog, Lucy, parachuting into a war zone. With a cigar and with, a machine gun. Yes. With a machine And you're getting fire all around you, but uh, you're only worried about all the people you're about to kill. So, uh, yes. yes. So I love that piece. I'm, I'm super excited to see it in the book when I get my copy of the book. So... <laughs> Um, um, aside from that, I do, gosh, I do so much content these days. I do, uh, a morning talk show about video games and entertainment and movies and everything. Kind of like the today show for nerds, mm. uh, over on our YouTube channel for the stores. That's youtube.com slash gamers heaven. And then obviously I'm still doing chaos Inc with Michael and Kaylee and Caleb and dot. Um, we just ended season two and we're about to start season three uh, in the middle of July. So July 18th, I think, is when we're coming back. Oh, nice. And is that every uh, week, every other week? How does that Every work? other Tuesday at uh, most of your viewers might be in see, 6 o'clock Pacific or 9 o'clock Eastern. Okay. Um, is when that game starts. And so it's a, it's a nice, tight two-hour show. We don't go too long. Um, there's a, a cooking segment approximately every episode and a quarter because Caleb is involved. Yes. yes. So there will be cooking, but it's more than sandwiches. He's, he's branched out. So oh, much. he's broadened his, uh, oh, his yes. palate. Oh yes. No, there's, there's whole, whole screens about charcuterie boards mm. and, and putting together charcuterie boards. Um, breakfast is a very popular topic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and the various, you know, pastries and things that he brings to breakfast. Uh, nice. So slightly off topic, but I, I, I'm now part of the TikTok generation. I watch TikTok all the time. Uh, it's it's bad for me, but I do it. And I I have yet to find, but I, I'm sure they're out there, but I, I would watch just like a YouTube channel that is nothing but a top-down view of like a Waffle House and just watch short order cooks do their thing. I, I love watching 
like there's all these like blackstone things but i'm cooking some on blackstone i love those griddle top cooking things i just i just want a whole youtube channel of nothing but that i'm sure they're out there i've not found one if you know of one send it to me because i really would that would be just like my anxiety like i'm feeling anxious or i'm just trying to go to sleep i'd like 30 minutes of just watching some dude or some dudette like you know throw hash and cook eggs and i want i want the old style order like bur barbecue burger naked or walking through the garden like i want all that as part of it that that is my jam nice all the right question so, is, ha have you found your way to crock pot tiktok yet uh, there's one guy that I watched. He's like this old Southern Cajun guy. And he does a bunch of like crock pot recipes. He's like, this is better than your mama's cooking. And then he just like jumps into it and oh. he says, he calls it the watch your sister sauce. He's that guy. Oh yeah. Eventually <laughs> you're going to find yourself on the cream cheese and everything crock pot TikTok. Uh, not there yet, but, uh, probably on way. Mostly I'll be honest. Most of what I get is, uh, cat videos. I, uh, I spend more time with my cat than anyone in my family. Um, my, um, my wife makes fun of the fact that I have more pictures of the cat than anyone else. And somehow TikTok knows that about me. So I'm constantly getting TikTok videos. Uh, we did have someone just jump into the chat, uh, dog dad 78 saying, Hey, good job uh, on the show, Alex. So we agree. We also think he's done a good job. All right. So Chris, uh, where can people find you? Any plugs you'd like, like to send people to, uh, Twitter. Berlu underscore Chris. Uh, catch me tomorrow doing uh, Dragonlance right here. Doing the Shadow of the Dragon Queen. Boy, I've run it for several weeks and I still can't remember the name of it. Uh, otherwise, every other Monday, back to doing Redemption. It's now called Smuggler's Blues, a redemption story. Every other Wednesday here. And then Jabla 4 if you're on. Let me know. You have like a... Um... Like tagger, like if somebody wanted to play with you, how would they find you? Find me on Discord okay. through the RPG Academy because I'd have to find my because you have a battle net name and then you have a name in the game and I don't remember which is which. Fair enough. So yeah, so I'll plug the, the Discord. It's it's a closed community. We'll invite anyone, but you do have to ask for an invite. You can't just find the link anywhere. But uh, you can hit us on Twitter, or Facebook, email. Say hey, I want to join the, the Discord. We'll get you there. Um, as for myself, of course, most of what I can do can be found at the RPG Academy. If you search the RPG Academy pretty much anywhere, you should find us. Uh, mostly we're an audio only podcast. We do streaming on occasion, a couple different shows. Uh, we also have some things on YouTube, which is usually just the transfers from Twitch. Like we don't do any straight to YouTube stuff, but anything on YouTube used to be on uh, Twitter or excuse me, Twitch. I was streaming video games for a while, but summer is just too hard with the kids. I don't have the time, but once school starts back, I might get back into doing that. Um, and then Action 12 Cinema. Again, it's the game I wrote. It's all about V-level actions and D12 dice. Uh, we just got done with editing. It's going into layout. We're hoping to go to printers somewhere around August. I'm going to guess it's going to take six months to get it back. So it's probably still going to be early next year before we deliver. But uh, you can pre-order right now. As soon as you do, you'll get the most recent update of the PDF. And then you can still get the physical copy if you would like later. Uh, I would absolutely love for more people to do that. Um, and you can find that at the RPG Academy. All right. So we didn't have any questions come in. If someone has any they want to add, feel free. Uh, but there's one question we ask everybody. So in case we get no others in, we'll ask you this one. Alex, imagine that you were being turned into an action figure, not physically transformed, but they're going to make an action figure about Alex. What are the three accessories that are going to come in your packaging? Um, that's, All right. So again, I'm, I'm bad. Okay. Horrible habits. 
So first thing is going to be a pack of cigarettes. Oh it's, man, uh, it's something... that's never going to get past the censors. You can't sell that to kids. <laughs> uh, I know uh, it's it's terrible. We're just going to pretend it's the '80s when we okay. could sell that stuff to kids. Or it's like right? candy cigarettes, which yeah. is still awful, and you can still get those in some places. By the way, can you? Okay. Yes. Um. So, uh, let's see. That. Um. I need physical items, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, my dog. Would be okay, like yeah. a little mini dog action figure with me. Perfect. Right? Um, and then the last thing would mm, that's really hard. I don't have a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Like I don't probably like a phone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Most if, of us. If I was that. an action, you know, because I, I have to stay so plugged in all the time, and my wife is always yelling at me about being constantly plugged into everything because uh, we do all the pop culture stuff and everything else. So, yeah, probably phone, pack, cigarettes, and my dog. Uh, my, mine has changed a little bit over time. I would say right now mine would be three different pairs of glasses because I constantly lose my glasses. So I have like I have like six pairs of reading glasses. I have two pair of uh, like computer distance glasses and I have three pair of long distance for driving or for watching TV in bed. Uh, so I have so many pairs of glasses, it is ridiculous. Well, when you spend $800 on a pair, you won't lose them. Yeah, I have not done that yet, but I have I've spent more than I want to. I've See, spent 800 total on my nine pairs, but not 800 on one pair for sure. I, I am a costco glasses guy mm. you know what mm. i mean because i do like when i do wear glasses which i don't typically i wear contacts most of the time but when i do um i lose them so frequently that i i feel bad spending like i used to have really expensive sunglasses of all kinds of like stylish kinds when i was in my 20s and then i started losing them all so now i buy 20 dollars ones on amazon yeah I, i'm i'm kind of more in your park right now but I'm, I'm getting worse like every day i feel like my eyes are getting worse but we're we're in old man talk now so we're gonna set right sign off here uh, alex thank you so much for being here i really thank appreciate you for having it. me and seriously thank you for the support you've shown to a catacon literally almost every year one of these days we are going to have you come out uh, also thank you again oh, for you. action 12 cinema again you threw some money that way to get that art but it, it's not worth what you paid for it and i appreciate that as well <laughs> Uh, we'll be back is. in a couple weeks. Chris and I, hopefully we'll have some more guests with us there. Uh, hopefully anyone listen now in the future. Thank you for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, and then just remember if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks. You we'll are. see you next time. Bye-bye everyone. Bye.